You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Without further ado, let's get into the Word of God. So Exodus 36 through Exodus 40 is going to be our text today. Yes, it is going to be a doozy. Um, More scripture than you've ever read, even probably in your quiet times, even more than Bible reading plans would tell you to read, but it's going to be awesome. Uh, But today is a bittersweet day because it's our final Sunday studying in the book of Exodus. Um, We've been studying the uh, word for word, chapter by chapter, uh, since right after Easter, and we've just been systematically going through it, not skipping it, um, going through the weird stuff, the hard stuff. Uh, We just believe that God's word is living and active and for training and correction and uh, for equipping us to know who God is and um, how to be used by him. And so it's been an incredibly fruitful season in our church, seeing God in these pages of scripture. But today, we are reading the last four chapters, and we have saved the longest for last. Uh, it's going to take a while. This much scripture is rarely ever read or taught in the church. Um, A lot of people just skip it because if you have been with us, this section that we're going to read today is almost word for word repetitive of the, the Exodus 25 through 30. That was the instructions or the blueprints for the tabernacle being built. And now the tabernacle is finally being built. Um, but we're going to go through that. It's going to stretch your attention span for those like myself that have ADD. Uh, that maybe are digital-only types, that you don't even really read books anymore. This is going to be the Olympics for you. Uh, I read books, but ADD is me. Uh, But turn with me to Exodus 36. If you do not have a Bible, uh, we have one in the back. You can grab it. We're going to be reading for the NIV. But before we read it, you're going to be lost in a sea of details if I don't give a little bit of detail. And uh, encourage you to do something. I want you, during this, it's about 18 minutes probably of reading scripture. It's really long. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, seriously, it's laughable. It's that long. But it's awesome. I want you, for a moment, to try to put yourself in Israel's slippers. Yes, they were wearing slippers in the desert. I want you to try to put yourself in their shoes and that you are the ones actually building this tabernacle. Like, actually think about the detail. Try to picture it in your head. It's really easy to get lost with these numbers and these materials, but try to put yourself in as a people that are actually going to use this tent and use this tabernacle to meet with God. Pretend it's your marching orders and your blueprints and your tent that God is having you built. And I think you'll will, will help us, you know, gain our attention more. But as a reminder, because I think it'll help. Can I have the pictures? Get those pictures. Okay, so what we're going to read 18 minutes of right now is the, the directions, if not the building. This is like the detailed building of this tent. So this is Israel and the tabernacle and the courtyard and the brazen altar and inside the tent was the Ark of the Covenant and the showbread and all that we're going to read right now. This 
is what you're going to read about. Next picture, please. This is inside that tent. There's the lampstand, there's the showbread, there's the Ark of the Covenant, the house, the presence of God. You literally are building all this right now as we read. For architects and carpenters in here, you're going to geek out. Um, do I have one more picture? Oh, yes. And you're going to hear about the priest's garments. And it's going to be so confusing unless you... You're literally describing the, the stones on his breast piece there and all of his garments uh, is what's going to happen. Are you guys ready for this? You can do it. Maybe I'm building it up too much, but um, maybe I'm overdoing it, but that's fine. Uh, for our last reading of the book of Exodus, uh, we have a very dear brother, a very faithful servant. Uh, him and his family felt God calling them um, to be a part of this church and help start this church and be a huge part. They moved their whole family from Los Angeles to do that. They've been a huge part. Uh, anything good sound-wise, everything is also this man's doing. Um, and a team, obviously. There's way more than that. But uh, I'd like to invite up a warm welcome to Mr. John Hansen. Come on up. He's the only one capable to read all this. Good job, buddy. Go for it. Exodus 36, verse 8. All those who were skilled among the workers made the tabernacle with ten curtains of finely twisted linen and blue, purple and scarlet yarn with cherubim woven into them by expert hands. All the curtains were the same size, 28 cubits long and four cubits wide. They joined five of the curtains together and did the same with the other five. Then they made loops of blue material along the edges of the end curtain in one set, and the same was done with the end of the curtain in the other set. They also made 50 loops on one curtain and 50 loops on the end curtain of the other set, with loops opposite each other. And then they made 50 gold clasps and used them to fasten the two sets of curtains together so that the tabernacle was a unit. They made curtains of goat hair for the tent over the tabernacle, 11 altogether. All 11 curtains were the same size, 30 cubits long and 4 cubits wide. They joined five of the curtains into one set and the other six into another set. Then they made 50 loops along the edge of the end curtain in one set and also along the edge of the end curtain in the other set. They made 50 bronze clasps to fasten the tent together as a unit. And then they made the tent a covering of lambskin dyed red, over that a covering of other durable leather. They made upright frames of acacia wood for the tabernacle. Each frame was 10 cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. And with what two projections set parallel to each other. They made all the frames of the tabernacle in this way. They made 20 frames for the south side of the tabernacle, and they made 40 bases, each to go under them, two bases for each frame, one, one under each projection. For the other side, the north side of the tabernacle, they made 20 frames and 40 silver bases, two under each frame. They made six frames for the far end, that is the west end of the tabernacle, and two frames were made for the, the corners of the tabernacle at the far end. At these two corners, at these two corners of the tabernacle, 
excuse me, at these two corners, the frames were double from the bottom all the way to the top and fitted into a single ring. Both were made alike. So there were eight frames and 16 silver bases, two under each frame. They also made crossbars of acacia wood, five for the frames on one side of the tabernacle and five for those of the other side, and five for the frames on the west at the far end of the tabernacle. They were made... They made the center crossbars so that it extended from end to end at the middle of the frames. They overlaid the frames with gold and made gold rings to hold, hold the crossbars. They also overlaid the crossbars with gold. They made the curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen with cherubim woven into it by a skillful worker. They made the four posts of acacia wood for, for it and overlaid them with gold. They made gold hooks for them and cast their four silver bases. For the entrance to the tent, they made a curtain of blue, purple, scarlet yarn, and finely twisted linen, the work of an embroiderer. And they made five posts with hooks for them. They overlaid the tops of the posts and their bands with gold that they might, and made their, their five bases of bronze. Bezalel made the, the ark of the acacia wood, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide and a cubit and a half high. He overlaid it with pure gold, both inside and out, and made a gold molding around it. He cast four gold rings for it and fastened them to the four feet. And then with two rings on, other side, on the other side and two rings on the other Then he made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold, and he inserted the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. He made the atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. Then he made two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. He made one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other. At the two ends, he made them of one piece with the cover. The cherubim have had wings spread upwards, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim faced each other, looking towards the cover. They made the table of acacia wood, two cubits long and a cubit wide and a cubit and a half high. Then they overlaid it with pure gold and made a gold molding around it. They also made around it a rim a handbreadth wide and put a gold molding around the rim. They cast four gold rings for the table and fastened them to the four corners where the four legs were. The rings were put close to the rim to hold the poles used in, in carrying the table. The poles for carrying the table were made out of acacia wood and were covered with gold, were overlaid with gold. And they, made the, and, and they made from pure gold the articles for the table, its plates and dishes and bowls, its pitchers and pouring out for the pouring out of drink offerings. They made the lampstand of pure gold. They hammered out its base and shaft and made, it fa- and, and made its flower-like cups, buds and blossoms of one piece with them. Six branches extended from the sides of the lampstand, three of them on one side and three of them on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms were on one branch, three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches extending from the lampstand. 
And on the lampstand were four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. One bud was under the first pair of branches extending from the lampstand, a second bud under the second pair, and a third bud under the third pair, six branches in all. The buds and the branches were all one piece with the lampstand hammered out of pure gold. They made it seven lamps as well as its wick trimmers and trays of pure gold. They made the lampstand and all its accessories from one talent of pure gold. They made the altar of incense out of acacia wood. It was square, a cubit long and a cubit wide and, a, and two cubits high. Its horns of one piece with it. They overlaid the top of all the sides of the horns with pure gold and made a, a gold molding around it. They made two gold rings below the molding, two of each of, on each of the opposite sides to hold the poles used to carry it. They made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. They also made the sacred anointing oil and the pure fragrant incense, the work of a perfumer. They built the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood, three cubits high. It was square, five cubits long and five cubits wide. They made a horn at each of the four corners so that the horns and the altar were one piece, and they overlaid the altar with bronze. They made it all of its utensils of bronze, its pots, shovels, sprinkling bowls, meat forks, and fire pans. They made a grating for the altar, a bronze network to be under its ledge, halfway up the altar. They cast bronze rings to hold the poles for the four corners of the bronze grating. They made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze. They inserted the poles into the rings so that they would be on the sides of the altar for carrying it. They made it hollow out of boards. They made the bronze basin and its bronze stand from the mirrors of women who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Next, they made the courtyard. The south side was a hundred cubits long and had curtains of finely twisted linen with 20 posts and 20 bronze bases with silver hooks and bands on the posts. The north side was also a hundred cubits long and had 20 posts and 20 bronze bases and silver hooks and bands on the posts. The west end was 50 cubits wide and had curtains with 10 posts and 10 bases with silver hooks and bands on the posts. The east end towards the sunrise was also 50 cubits wide. Curtains, 15 cubits long, were on one side of the entrance with three posts and three bases, and curtains 15 cubits long were on the other side of the entrance to the courtyard with three posts and three bases. All the curtains around the courtyard were of finely twisted linen. The bases for the posts were bronze, and the hooks and the bands on the posts were silver, and their tops were overlaid with silver, so all the posts of the courtyard had silver bands. The curtain for the entrance to the courtyard was made of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and finely twisted linen, the work of an embroiderer. It was 20 cubits long, and like the curtains of the courtyard, five cubits high, with four posts and four bronze bases. Their hooks and bands were, were silver, and their tops were overlaid with silver. All the tent pegs of the tabernacle and of the surrounding courtyard were bronze. 
These are the amounts of the materials used for the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the covenant law, which was recorded at Moses' command by the Levites under the direction of Ithamar, son of Aaron, the priest. Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made everything the Lord commanded Moses. With him was Aholiab, son of Ahizamach, of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and designer, and an embroiderer in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen. The total amount of the gold from the wave offering used for, for, for all the work of the sanctuary was 29 talents and 730 shekels, according to the sanctuary shekel. The silver obtained for that, for, from those of the community who were counted in the census was 100 talents and 1,775 shekels, according to the sanctuary shekel. One becca per person, that is half a shekel, according to the sanctuary shekel, from everyone who had crossed over to those, to those counted 20 years old or more, a total of 603,550 men. The 100 talents of silver were used to cast the bases for the sanctuary and for the curtain, 100 bases from the 100 talents, one talent for each base. They used the 1,775 shekels to make the hooks for the posts, to overlay the tops of the posts, and to make the bands. The bronze for, from the wave offering was 70 talents and 2,400 shekels. They made it to make the bases for the entrance of the tent of meeting, the bronze altar and its bronze grating and all its utensils, the bases for the surrounding courtyard and those for its entrance and all the tent pegs for the tabernacle and those for the surrounding courtyard. From the blue purple and scarlet yarn, they made woven garments for ministering in the sanctuary. They also made garments for Aaron, as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made the ephod of gold and of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and of finely twisted linen. They hammered out thin sheets of gold and cut strands to be worked into the blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen, the work of skilled hands. They made shoulder pieces for the ephod, which were attached to the two of its corners so that it could be fastened. Its skillfully woven waistband was like it, of one piece with the ephod and made with gold and with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and with finely twisted linen, as the Lord had commanded Moses. They mounted the onyx stones in gold filigree settings and engraved them like a seal with the names of the sons of Israel. Then they fastened with, then they fastened them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel, as the Lord commanded Moses. They fashioned the breastpiece, the work of a skilled craftsman. They made it like the like the ephod of gold and of blue and purple and scarlet yarn and of finely twisted linen. It was square, a span long and a span wide and folded double. Then they mounted four rows of precious stones on it. The first row was carnelian, chrysolite, and beryl. The second row was turquoise, lapis lazuli, and emerald. The third row was jacinth, agate and amethyst. The fourth row was topaz, onyx, and jasper. 
They were mounted in gold filigree, in a gold filigree setting. There were 12 sons, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each engraved like a seal with the name of one of the 12 tribes. For the breastplate, for the breastpiece was made braided, for the breastpiece, they made braided chains of, gold, of pure gold, like a rope. They made two gold filigree settings and two gold rings, and fastened the rings to two of the corners of the breastpiece. They, made, they fastened two gold chains to the rings at the corners of the breastpiece, and the other ends of the chains to, to the two settings, attaching them to the shoulder pieces of the ephod at the front. They made gold rings and attached them to the other two corners of the, of the breastpiece on the inside edge next to the ephod. Then they made two more gold rings and attached them to the bottom of the shoulder pieces on the front of the ephod, close to the seam, just above the waistband of the ephod. They tied the rings on the breastpiece to the rings of the ephod which, with blue cord, connecting it to the waistband so that the breastpiece would not swing out from the ephod as the Lord commanded Moses. They made the rope of the ephod entirely of blue cloth, the work of a weaver, with an opening in the center of the robe like an opening of a collar and a band around this opening so that it would not tear. They made pomegranates of... Uh, they made pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and, and finely twisted linen round the hem of the rope. And they made bells of pure gold and attached them around the hem between the pomegranates. The bells and the pomegranates alternated round the hem of the robe to be worn for ministering as the Lord commanded Moses. For Aaron and his sons, they were tunics of fine linen, the work of a weaver. And the turban of fine linen, the linen caps, and the undergarments of finely twisted linen. The sash was made of finely twisted linen and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, the work of an embroiderer, as the Lord commanded Moses. They made the plate, the sacred emblem, out of pure gold and engraved on it like an inscription on a seal, holy to the Lord. Then they fastened a blue cord to it, to attach it to the turban, as the Lord commanded Moses. So all the work of the t on the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, was completed. The Israelites did everything just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its furnishings, its clasps, frames, crossbars, posts, and bases, the covering of ram skins dyed red, and the covering of, an of another durable leather, and the, and the shielding curtain, the Ark of the Covenant Law and its poles and its atonement cover, the table with all its articles and the, the bread of the presence, the pure gold lampstand with its rows of lamps and its accessories and the olive oil for the light, the gold altar, the anointing oil, the fragrant incense and the curtain for the entrance to the tent, the bronze altar with with its bronze grating, its poles and its utensils, that basin with its stands, the curtains on the courtyard with its posts and base and the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard, the ropes and the tent pegs for the, for the courtyard, all the finishings for the tabernacle, the, temp, the tent of meeting, and the woven garments worn by the ministering in the sanctuary, both the, the sacred garments for Aaron, the priests, 
and the garments for his sons when serving as priests. The Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses inspected the work and saw that they had done it just as the Lord had commanded, so Moses blessed them. And then the Lord said to Moses, Set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, on the first day of the first month. Place the Ark of the Covenant Law in it and shield the Ark with the curtain. Bring in the table and set out all that belongs on it. Then bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. Place the gold altar of incense in front of the Ark of the Covenant Law and put the curtain at the entrance of the, covenant, of the tabernacle. Place the altar of burnt offering in front of the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. Place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Set up the courtyard around it and put the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard. Take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and everything in it. Consecrate it and all its furnishings and it will be holy. Then anoint the altar of burnt offerings and all its utensils. Consecrate the altar and it will be most holy. Anoint the basin and its stands and consecrate them. Bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then dress Aaron in the sacred garments. Anoint him and consecrate him so that he may serve me as priest. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics. Anoint them just as you have anointed their father so that they may serve me as priests. Their anointing will be to a priesthood that will continue throughout their generations. Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded him. So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month in the second year. And when Moses set up the tabernacle, he put the bases in place, erected the frames, inserted the crossbars, and set up the posts. And then he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering over the tent as the Lord had commanded him. He took the tablets of the covenant law and placed them in the ark, attached the poles to the ark and put the atonement cover over it. And then he brought the ark into the tabernacle and hung the shield and cur curtain and, the she and shielded the ark of the covenant law as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the curtain and set out the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord commanded him. He placed the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the, of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the gold altar in the tent of meeting in the front of the curtain and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded him. And then he put up the curtain at the entrance of the tabernacle. He set the altar of burnt offering near the entrance to the, to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and offered on it burnt offerings and grain offerings as the Lord had commanded him. He placed the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. And Moses and Aaron and his sons used it to wash their hands and feet. They washed whenever they entered the tent of meeting or approached the altar as the Lord had commanded Moses. And then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar and put up the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. And then the cloud covered the tent of meeting 
and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they would not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. Great job, buddy. Amen. Thanks, John. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you that this is your word, and your word is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. And God, today we're reminded that you are concerned with the details of our lives. God, you care about them. You care about meeting with us and communing with us and how it's done. And and at the end of the day, God, you want to be with us. You want to commune with us, have withness and oneness with us. And so, Lord, as as we end this time in your word, in this book, this rich season that you've had us in, we ask, God, that you would show us once again your heart for us, for humanity, and what you've done for us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if that was mundane to you, or confusing, or irrelevant at all, what I want to do this morning is I want to attest of the importance of each piece of what was being communicated, right? There's a lot of gold, there's a lot of silver, there's cubits, there was fine linen. Each item, though, was important with the meeting of God, and each had significance, and there was purpose. Even down, right, for one example, down to the stones on the breastplate of the priest, Right, each stone was representing each tribe of Israel, right? And it was supposed to remind them of what God had done for them, but it was also so that the priest on behalf of all of Israel, when he was making sacrifices, would make it symbolically on behalf of the whole people, right? Down to the light stand or the lamp stand that would always be burning, signifying the presence of God. That God's presence was always with them wherever they went. If you're with us about two months ago, we went into detail every part of the tabernacle. But not directly can I relate to each and every detail that was in the tabernacle, but I can by way of comparison. See, the tabernacle was, in essence, there was differences, but in essence, was a mobile church. It was a place where God would meet and commune with his people. And it would move. All of that, all the details, all the poles, all the tapestries, the tent, the the pictures that we saw would move when God would move. Right? When the pillar of, of, of fire at night or whether it was a cloud by the day, when God would move, they would move that whole thing. This was mobile church at its finest ancient mobile church. It was supposed to be mobile until years and years later, there would be a more permanent dwelling place for God that would be built. It would be the temple in Jerusalem. But until that time, this is where they would meet with God. 
in all of its glory, in all of its purpose. And what we just read was the equipment. It was the design for this mobile church. Literally down to the detail of what it was supposed to be made of. These are the blueprints and the construction of a place they would meet with God. And the reason why I can relate is for the last eight years or so, I have been fully involved. My job, my calling, what I've been part of is setting up church, not in a church building. Just like this. Just like we do each and every Sunday. And as it began, began to do that, you know, oversee setup and buy the stuff and start like thinking about what it takes to actually make church happen, the stuff actually started mattering. They started like, is mattering a word? I don't know if that's a word, but um, it started to matter what stuff we had, what it was made of, was it good or not, blah, blah, blah. Especially, does it making setup, tear down, setup and tear down easier or harder, harder? And again, it wasn't about the stuff, but the stuff was providing a space for God to meet with his people. The stuff was creating the atmosphere in order for God to meet with his people. And so the stuff actually does matter if it's facilitating a meeting with God. So I'm all about setting up and tearing down church because I know that I'm doing it to prepare the way for God to move. And so for those of you, God bless you, on our setup and teardown cruise, it is so much more than just setting up a chair or a sound system or a carpet or our kids' classrooms. You are making the way, you're preparing the soil, so to speak, for God to move. And that's literally what's happening here in Exodus. There's skilled laborers, there's construction workers, there's architects, there's people sewing, all that. This tent can be made so that God can meet with his people. And like the Israelites, when we, when we, for us, it's very real, what we do each and every Sunday is like setting up a tabernacle. We're creating an atmosphere for God to come and speak and move and be exalted in our midst. And so as much as these details, for many of us, as we read the Bible, we come to the Old Testament, we may want to skip, we may have, I've done it myself, we may want to skip over these details because, right, they don't matter, they actually greatly matter. It's just a matter of context. For them, it's like not mattering at all about the space that we meet in. Again, I know we can meet anywhere. And again, it's not about the building. It's not. God can meet us anywhere. But there is, God, God uses stuff and atmospheres and buildings and like places, a tent, a temple, to meet with his people. Doesn't mean you have to, but the stuff or the details of church matter if they're going towards facilitating people meeting with God. In a sense, they're a means to an end. That's what's happening here. So as much as it's like, that's weird, that's weird, don't know about that, it's just all a matter of context and purpose. And if we were even to pull back and look at this in light of the whole book of Exodus, the whole start of the Bible, really, Genesis and Exodus, if we were to pull back and look at this in light of the whole story, what this tent, this really nice tent, in this desert means, what is a, it's a tangible physical tent is, is a fulfillment promised to the forefathers of this family now nation, Abraham, 
In Genesis, the Abrahamic covenant, centuries before, before Abraham even had any offspring, God would, 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 would promise Abraham that through him, that, a, that, a, that a, a nation that was innumerable would come and that his God would be the God of the people and those people would be their God. Would, would, God would be the God of them. Before this family now nation was put into slavery in Egypt, right? That's the Exodus story. Israelites exiting Egypt. That's what we've talked about the last six or seven months. Before this family, now nation, was put into slavery in Egypt, the promise was that being one day Abraham's descendants would be their own flourishing nation and they would be the people of God. And they're in the middle of the Sinai Desert. And this tent is finally built. And it's, full, it's come full circle. It's come full circle. Because if Israel was aware, and they were, of their history, of their people, they would understand the significance of this weird tent to us, but this fulfillment to hundreds of years of promise. To Israel, this tent was the fruition of what God had told Abraham, their forefather. And if you remember, they were in slavery less than a year ago, about a year, give or take. They were in slavery in Egypt for 430 years. And if there's ever a time to lose hope of a promise, it's being in slavery for 430 years, right? Because the promise that they would once be a people that would flourish in the promised land was promised before they were in slavery. Then 430 years of slavery happens, and, and now they've been freed. But if there's ever a time to lose hope, it's during that time of slavery. I mean, I can only imagine that this Abrahamic covenant, this story, this promise was even remotely talked about. Maybe occasionally. Maybe there's a wonderment. Will that ever happen? Will that ever come to pass? Has God just left us? Because think about it. As slavery got worse as, as, and as full generations would pass away, having a God of their own and them being his own people as his own possession would have been a joke. Would have been a far off dream, far from reality. But in a relatively short time, give or take a year, these people, now two and a half million of them, this is no small people group. Abraham had some offspring by the time they got in Egypt. There are about 70 people over the course of 430 years. They did a lot of flourishing. Be fruitful and multiply. They did what God told them to do. Now they're a nation of two and a half million people. And in, in, in about a year's time, they've gone from slaves to free people. They were far off from God, but now they've been brought near. They were rescued out of bondage and now are in a covenant relationship. In the very first sermon we taught, I said that the story of Exodus, the theme of it, was being brought out to be brought in. Brought out of slavery to be brought in to a covenant relationship. 
And here's the deal. God has done just as he said he would. He brought them out of slavery into communion, into intimate relationship with himself. God has been faithful. He has done that which he, what he said, and he has been good on his promise. Because remember, the tabernacle that was just built is where God's presence is. And now people that were once far off that did not know their God can now know their God with his presence near to them. This is incredible. This is incredible time in the life of Israel. And not only did God save them out and from Egypt, but he saved them into life and that abundantly. Because where they're going is the promised land, the land of milk and honey, a land of their own where they can flourish and multiply and be with their God as they should. But do you see where this is going? This is not just Israel's story. This is our story. This is us. We too were all in slavery and in bondage. That's slavery and in bondage to sin. Right? We once, all of us, pre-Jesus, pre-Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, we were controlled by the power of sin and by disobedience in our lives. And nothing we could do on our own ability, in our own strength, could free us from the power and the penalty of sin. We were in Egypt. We once were far off from God. All of us were. What did God do? Just like he did Israel, he rescued us, he freed us, he forgave us our sin, and he did this by sending his son Jesus to die to pay the price for our sin. And when we believe, we're forgiven and we're freed. Can I get an amen? amen? But here's the deal. Not only does God free us from our sin... Not only does he free us out of Egypt, so to speak, but we're actually brought into relationship with our God. Right? Sin separated us from God. And so what Jesus did, not only did he forgive our sin, but he actually restored and repaired that broken relationship. We were once far off, but have now been brought near. This is what Paul told the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So because of the cross, because of the work of, the, of, of Christ upon the cross, what that now does for us is we can now know God. We can experience God. We can talk with God. We can hear from God. We now can be in whole, right, close relationship with the loving, kind, merciful, holy, wonderful God of the universe. We now get to experience what we were created to experience, life and unity with God. Life abundant and life eternal. That's how God always designed it. He never designed it that we would be far off from him. Look back at the creation story. What messed everything up was it was man and woman's disobedience to God. It was sin. Sin wrecked God's created design. 
It was always meant that we would live unashamed in God's presence, experience the fullness of joy and the fullness of love. You know where all of our issues come from is because of our own disobedience and the effects of sin in our lives. But because of the cross, we can now experience life with God, unity with God, life abundantly and life eternal once again. Exodus is a vivid story that tells of God's heart for humanity. That God has always wanted to be with us. Not get stuff from us or out of us. He's not trying to use us. But rather, he's always wanted withness and oneness. It's always been his desire. And as good as Israel had it, it was still incomplete and it was lacking full access. There was still a system in place. There was still a high priest that you had to go through to get to God. All the people couldn't experience God in God's fullness. And so what Exodus does is it leaves us hanging for more. And it leaves us hanging what we're celebrating this season. And it's the birth of the Savior of the world who would bring every nation far from God near to him once again. It wouldn't just be Israel. It would be every tongue, tribe, and nation. We'd be grafted into the family of God. What Exodus does is it leaves us hanging for more, and it points us to the birth of our Savior that ultimately would die on the cross for all of us. If you're a Christian in here, there is much to worship and be thankful for in light of this. Because whether we're reminded of this truth or not, we were once lost, but now we were found. Right? We were once blind, but now we see. Once we were slaves to sin, now we're free to be sons and daughters of the King of Kings. Like we're new creations. We've been freed. As much as a people group in slavery was freed from Egypt, we've been, we've been freed from our sins. And not only are we like, oh, we're good. We're actually, we're freed into a relationship, a loving, caring, deep, wonderful relationship with the God that knows us and wants us and knows what's best for us. So there is much to be worship, worship, worship God for and much, much to be thankful for. And if you're listening to this today and this is not you, you are not a Christian. You maybe don't even know what I'm talking about. This truth is for you. Life is not to be lived alone or apart from God. It is not meant to be. And if you haven't found that out yet, you will. Life is complete in God. And you will not find that anywhere else. You can try. It will be empty at the end. It will let you down. It will leave you wanting and hanging, and it will probably end in destruction. Our life is to be meant, uh, is to be lived in oneness with God. And what God did is he sent his son to free us from the destructive power of sin in our lives. 
Disobedience to God ruins us, ruins relationships, ruins our life, it ruins this world. What God's intention is, is for all of us to know his perfect love and his grace and his mercy and be in relationship with you, and that is available for you today. That is a free gift. There's no hoops involved. It's not a conditional statement. It's unconditional love. Jesus did all the work. It's a free gift. All we have to do is say, I give up. I surrender. I want that. I believe. I trust you. You don't have to have it all together. That's exactly the point of the gospel. You come broken and bleeding and blind and hurting and lost and say, I don't know what to do. And Jesus said, I did it for you. Come to me. Let me love you and save you and free you and give you life abundantly and joy abundantly and peace abundantly. And it's only through Jesus Christ. That's you and you want that and you've never got that. We have men and women in the back that would love to talk with you about that and pray with you. But church, this is the story of Exodus. This is our story. This isn't just a people group in the Middle East, thousands of years ago, that doesn't matter. What the book of Exodus does is it illuminates God's heart for his people. And what it does is it points forward to the cross. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that in it we find you and your heart and the truth of your character. Thank you that as we read your word, we find out that you love us. You care about us. You want what's best for us. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't come to judge us, but to save us. You hate sin for sure, but you love us. And you'll do anything to get us. To the point that you sent what was most valuable to you, and that was your son one and only son to die in our place. So Father, as we worship now, we pray that we would worship you for who you are and what you've done for us. And as we enter this season, which today marks the advent, the coming, the arrival of our God, we ask that we'd enter this season with thanksgiving that God, while we were yet sinners, Christ, you sent your, done, your son to die for us. That's why we worship you, because you're worthy, because we couldn't do it, and you did it for us. We love you, God. We ask that these songs now would give you praise and glory and adoration Thank you for this time. Thank you for this book. Thank you for this reminder. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.